welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming from the Cat Cave in Providence, Rhode Island. I have a wonderful guest today. We have Max Lopez from Ashkenaz Music and Dance Community Center in Berkeley, California. Berkeley's home for world music and dance since 1973. Max actually also happens to be my cousin, so this is really cool. Uh, it's a fun way to catch up because he's out in Berkeley. I'm in Rhode Island, so we don't get to see each other a ton, but um, we always get along and he fucking has a ton of knowledge of music and I've always been really fascinated by the music industry and anyone who works in it in some facet. So I'd like to try to get different people in different facets of the industry. Personally, I just really love the punk, pop punk, ska world. So to have someone working at like a, a music venue that like is for world music was just so out of my realm. So I was just so happy to have this episode. Uh, we recorded this a long time ago. So long ago, I remember looking out my window and seeing piles of snow outside and I think he was like in like a long sleeves tee or a sweater because he was slightly chilled and then me being very jealous because I really wanted to go outside but I had a 10 foot snowbank because fuck Providence in the winter huh well anyway this is a wonderful episode there is a chance that you might be listening to this episode and you are one of our, uh, Max and I's wonderful family members and you might be like Chris you have a podcast I do uh, thank you, family member, if that's you listening to this for the first time. Uh, poke around to some back episodes. Uh, you may notice somewhere in the backlog, uh, Bill and Carol Rethel, my parents, were actually on a long time ago. So uh, that might be something you want to listen to if you're interested. But uh, thanks for listening, anyone. Uh, I've also noticed a lot of international downloads. A lot of people in Virginia, California, Florida, Texas have been popping up in downloads. A lot of cool little states. That's always just tons of fun. Anyway, what a great episode with Max. He was his, so generous with his time and uh, definitely going to have to have him come back on. Uh, knows way more about music than most people probably ever will. It's globally and locally, and but uh, just such a great episode. I had, I had such a great time. So if you ever find yourself out in the uh, Ashkenaz, uh, go there and uh, ask for Max and creep him out and be like, hey, I heard you on Let's Chat. They have a Facebook page and they're online at ashkenaz.com I'll put a link in the description. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Anyway, you can also find Let's Chat on Twitter at Let's Chat Podcast. Facebook. I'm on the amazing network The Misfits Network. You can check them out on themisfitsnetwork.com. They're on Twitter at Misfits Podcast or on Facebook. Um, just check out all the amazing shows Misfits Network has to offer. Sign up for our email. Subscribe on iTunes. And if you were so kind and want to leave the show a review, that would be wonderful. Apparently, that's really important. And I never knew how important it was until recently where I started getting ranked in iTunes. Really fucking cool. But anyway, let's get to it. Yeah, it's so funny because I always talk about like new media stuff on here because like it it just it always I it was funny because I was whenever I have someone on I would try to like figure something out to talk about so I was lurking your Facebook and you made some really cool probably a while ago but you made some really interesting point about everyone complaining about like. Pandora and Spotify, the way they pay their artists, but then you made the argument about like Google and YouTube, which I didn't even think of. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I don't really know how the royalty, the whole royalty thing works. I'm by no means an expert on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, traditionally, the music industry finds a way to screw over the artist. Yeah. Uh, that, that's yeah. just always been the case. That seems to be the case. And yes. I don't think it's changed at all. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, just... maybe it, it's, I think it's different. I think to different to um I think that well I don't know there's lots of it's it's a big argument but and I think there's a lot of ways to look at it like personally I mean my thing is you know I work for a local music venue and we have mostly local music um with a few like international and national acts sprinkled in but I mean you know I guess from an idealistic point view from my point of view i think that's a cool way for a, a good way to experience music and like you said at the at the 
national level, I think artists get screwed um, heavily. And I think that it's a lot like the rest of the economy where there's a few people making a whole lot of money and then a, a, a big uh, pool of people who aren't. Um, but at the local level, when people go out to support good local bands, I mean, artists can make some money. Um, oh, it's all about the live. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Like I only buy any if I can, I'll buy it from an artist like at the merch table if they're coming through town. That's the yeah. best way to do it or from their website. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um and you know, door covers at their show too to try to support groups like that. I mean, people I mean knowing from working at I mean, the club that I work at, so over the last 5 years I've been working there, uh well, maybe a little longer than that. Um and I've done just about everything from you know, sitting at the door and selling tickets to booking the artists. Um, oh, wow, that's and, awesome. And, like, and like I, the thing I see at the door a lot of times is people will try to haggle with you on the on the price of the admission to the show, and I'm always like, well, What? Yeah, and, you know... You could and, do that? Well, no, you can't do that. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I've been to a ton of fucking concerts, and that's never even come up once. Well, you see, like, I mean... You know, nobody would think – that's what I'm saying, though. Nobody would think to do that at a national show. You wouldn't mm. go to a Rolling Stones concert and say, you know, can I get it for 50 instead of 150 or whatever. You're probably charging double that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, but at the local level, when it's people that maybe you know or you tangentially know or something like that, then you're thinking that, oh, maybe I can get a deal on this $12 ticket. And the point we're always driving home at the door is, like, that money goes to the artists and – when you come out to live music, you know, you should really consider supporting the artists. You know, if you can, let's put it this way. If you can find four bucks for a Frappuccino, you can find 12 bucks for a local artist, you know. I mean, I'm like, I'm talking like, because I like, when I was like younger, I'm like, I'm like going to shows and like, I'm, I was like a basement show, VFW, Knights of Columbus, like all the way person. Never once would the price of getting it. Well, maybe I could, sometimes I would get it for free. <laughs> You're one of the good ones. Yeah, I mean, I've gotten for free a lot of times because like yeah. I was usually like helping out in some small yeah. DIY facet, but like overall, but like I, I would never even think to go to a club. And first off, twelve bucks is not a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not it's not. I, I, so anyway, I should tell you the place that I work. I work at Ashkenaz in uh, North Berkeley, where a world music and. Um, World uh, regional and roots music basically is what we do. So um, no Katy Perry, no Katy Perry. Um, <laughs> although I mean, like today over there, there, there we're having a uh, there's a local like um, school of rock type thing. And oh, that's kids, awesome! The kids come out and they play their with their ensembles all day. So they, you know, they uh, they. Rehearse throughout the whatever the winter the, this group's winter season is, and then they have recitals. So you know you might get some Katy Perry at that. <laughs> I, I always but, forget how great that movie is, and then I didn't know places actually did that, and that makes me so happy. Yeah, it's a pretty cool program. They've got maybe I don't know, hundred kids, you know, enrolled in this thing. It's Berkeley and Albany and Oakland and just this whole East Bay area, and yeah, they have these recitals where they, I mean, they have they break the kids into like five or six person bands and they have an instructor for each one. Um, yeah, it's called band works. Um, so yeah, they have recitals over there for that. So, you know, the, the place where I work, we do just, I mean, we're a community center too. So we kind of, you know, we do the high school jazz bands in the area. They have their recitals at our place on Sunday afternoons in the spring. And we do Cajun music every Tuesday night. We have a grateful dead night every Wednesday night. That makes that, sense for where you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's folk music around here. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> pretty great. Um, and then let's see. Uh, you know, Thursday through Saturday, we just have a a variety of things: reggae music, African music, um, yeah, just stuff from around the world. There's a big Balkan music scene, Greek dancing. Um, yeah, and basically, it's just a big wooden dance floor, and we try to do music that centers around dance. And you, you said you do booking there now too. Yeah, so um, I'm there from Monday to Friday on the weekdays. Um, I started there doing sound about seven years ago and just doing sound. Um, and I just got more and more involved in the community. And uh, now I'm doing the booking seven years later, which is really fun. 
and I mean, having done sound for so long, there is, I mean, we have a lot of recurring acts, so it kind of built relationships with the artists over the years being their sound guy. So transitioning over to doing the booking was pretty easy because I knew, you know, at least of the core community that we work with, like most of the community. So, so what are you looking for if you're booking someone like that you never heard before? Because I imagine now with online, it's all like it's just oh, different. Yeah I, get, yeah, I get a million emails a day. I mean, of, of people wanting to play, and I mean, mostly what I, I mean. There's two things that mostly I look for, which is you know if it fits the theme of the club, which is again kind of centered around dance and. Um, world music and and um, and you know roots music, regional music, stuff like that. So if it fits that um, description, then that's usually a quick way in. Um, for people coming from out of towns, a lot uh, from out of town, a lot of times if they have a relationship with a band in town that already plays at our club, that's a really good way to get in because. I know somebody that you that you know, you know, that simple. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, a lot of the other stuff I book is just community stuff that, you know, okay, well, you are doing a benefit for something at Kaiser Hospital or something like that. You know, things that I would recognize from the from the neighborhood and usually benefit type stuff catches my eye. So, yeah. That's really fun. I that Man, that's so cool. Because you've you've been out in California for what for for very long, right? It'll be it'll be ten years in November. Yeah. Wow. So how did um? So we're both from the same state, and then we both left said state, like yeah. everyone in Connecticut does. <laughs> <laughs> Rightfully so. Uh, are you? I think all both of our parents are still there though. Yeah, and you know, I was pleasantly surprised when I when I've been home in the last couple of years. There's been a lot of um, live music opening up. Like in our nowhere town up in the northwest corner of Connecticut, we've got that Infinity Hall in Norfolk, and it's like yeah, Bill does um, his art there a lot. Yes, I've seen that on Facebook. Yeah, and then um, see, it. I'm not sure if you know, you might, might you might have been gone, but like uh, Mark, who runs Manic Productions, is like one of the big dudes who really brought the music scene in Connecticut. Uh, at least that type. Well, he was like a punk ska guy, and then I've never even seen him one time. Recently, maybe within the few years, they had like uh, David Byrne at, of, at like Schubert, so they've kind of really just brought that's, it on. That's cool. Yeah, it, it was just strange about Connecticut because we were, you know, we're we're in between Boston and New York, but like growing up, like nothing great came there when I grew up. Like Toad's Place was a kind of like a, a has been. It was like every week was. Uh, yeah, is Toad's back? The Toad's has always been there, but for a long time it was like a joke. It was. Uh, yeah. God, I can't remember. There's this one Sublime tribute band that they're everywhere. Badfish, oh, wow. I think. Okay. But every time I would look at Toads when I was younger, it was always like Badfish, Grateful Dead cover. It's like yeah. the Rolling Stones played here in 1969. It had nothing going for it. The Webster was terrible. And then nothing like Warp Tour, Ozfest, like the big popular music festivals wouldn't even come to Connecticut. It was That's... very strange. I kind of let's see. Maybe I caught the the tail end of things. I remember going to Meadows quite a bit. Yeah, that's what is that now? It's a different name. It's a different name, but it's the same thing. Yep, and it looks like every other amphitheater music venue you've ever been to. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I mean, I'm not crazy about the sound in those places to tell you oh, the truth. I never understand sucks. anything on stage. Yeah. Oh, I hate those. I, yeah, I'm. A, yeah, and then so I just went to the one in. Uh, they market it as Boston, but it's like Mansfield, and it's actually closer to Providence. And tweeter? It, so, I think it's called something else. It might have been the Tweeter, but now it's something different. It, it, not yeah. Everything has turned into a company's name. It's never like a theater. Like We had the Oakdale, and now it's like the Toyota or something like that. Yeah. Which wow. I hate. Or the TD Garden. Like They all have just company names. It just really just annoys the shit out of me. But that's what's nice about going to smaller clubs. I mean, you get yeah, a closer closer connection to groups and uh there may even be uh, an owner that's not national corporate no yeah i remember when pearl jam tried to do the uh go on tour without using live nation venues and it was like, like it's a struggle yeah it is a struggle i mean and it's funny because out here in the bay area um a lot of the i mean there there's just like a whole concert industry in the bay area because that is 
unto itself the Bay Area, you know. I mean, with Bill Graham being from San Francisco and just his legacy endures. There's several companies that have sprung out of people who worked with Bill Graham. He sounds familiar. Who is he? So Bill Graham owned the Fillmore. Um, okay. In the 60s and I guess early 70s, too. And then he... It was just a, he did big scale concert promoting for the Rolling Stones, for the Grateful Dead, for all sorts of people. Um, and yeah, he just kind of, um, as far as live music in the Bay Area, he's just kind of the forefather of everything that's going on here today. Um, but the niche that I'm in is kind of interesting, which is kind of an East Bay phenomena, and that is um, nonprofits. And all uh, there's four non-for-profit music centers in the uh in oakland and berkeley um so the one that i work for is ashkenaz and then there's freight and salvage which is in downtown berkeley that's also a non-profit and they do mostly folk music um singer songwriters bluegrass um americana that kind of stuff wow Um, that's so like unique to that area i don't it's think. it's really unique, and not a lot of other places even have that model. That there's these nonprofits. I mean, there's another one in North in uh, East Berkeley that's like um, it's called La Pena Cultural Center, and that's all um, Latin music. Um, and then right down the street from us, there's a place called Nine Two Four Gilman, which I think you've probably heard of. Oh, uh, is that the the famous place, right? The famous punk club, yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, you know, I don't even know if it's a non-for-profit. I think it's totally volunteer-run. And oh, that wow. is a world unto itself. We uh, actually have one of those uh, in Providence that reopened. It's called the Columbus Theater, and it's volunteer-run. And it's um, it's fucking great. I love it. It's like I, I could walk to it. I've seen some great stuff there. It's it's nice. Yeah, that those could only happen in, like, unique small cities. Like, I don't think you could see that in, like, a New York or – so, yeah, I don't you know could. If you could pay the rent in New York. Yeah. <laughs> but to have a volunteer run thing. It's yeah. Just, and it's been there for, I mean, it's been there since, well, I don't know, probably the 80s. I know, uh, like, Green Day, that's where they started. Yeah, that's that's the only reason I knew of it. And I'm actually not even a big Green Day fan. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm not a huge Green Day fan either, but they're locals and, uh, you know, they have a little legacy here in the Bay Area. Well, a lot of great bands from where you guys are, though. Oh yeah, and every yeah. every scene of every music has a lot of. Yeah, you know, I never met so many people from Cal, uh, the Bay Area until I went to college, and everyone I went to college with, like, it felt like a small percentage of our college was all kids from the Bay Area. Yeah, so it's a whole little universe out there. It is. It is its own little universe out here. And everyone hated SoCal, and I was like, I I don't care. I'm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those kind of divisions don't matter to anybody. I was like, no one cares. <laughs> like, they're going. It's eight hours away. I'm like, you know, I live in Connecticut. Eight hours away is like DC. Yeah, exactly. Or even maybe farther south. I don't know how I'm not the best at geography, but yeah, eight hours away is not something I would even consider within would... my realm of things to care about. That's one of those things that happens when you move out west, like an eight-hour drive all of a sudden is something that you do. <laughs> really? Just Well, it's just everything is really, I mean, the geography here is extremely spaced out. Yeah. Well, there's a lot in a compact area. Just a whole, well, yeah, there's a couple cities and then there are all, there's a whole lot of nothing in between. Yeah, so LA to San Fran, what's that, like eight hours? Nine? Um, I think it's a little quicker than that. Um, I mean, it's you take Highway 5 and it's a straight shot. I think we've done it in like six and a half, something Is like that. Is that the, the nice one the, on, the, on the ocean? No, that's Highway 1, and that will take you days. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's a great drive. Um, so that's the that's – the what's that called us one so uh you ride down along the ocean the whole way um and it just kind of winds through these bluffs that overlook just you know 500 miles of coastline or whatever it is you know um and it's beautiful um you go through big you go kind of down through santa cruz and then um through monterey and that whole area and then you get into big Sur which is all kind of preserve and it's just gorgeous. Um, but yeah, you go about four, maybe 40 miles an hour tops and it just switches back and forth. And it's like when you take the highway, when you take route five, you're just in the central Valley and it's flat as can be for like 400 miles. And you, Damn. 
you do like 80 <laughs> and you're there you know that well you hit this you, you hit the grapevine which is a big mountain range uh before la and you go up you know i don't know how many maybe 5,000 feet or something like that and then you just drop into la after that it's you know i actually kind of like southern california i think a lot of people out here kind of have this rivalry thing and like there's the perception of la being kind of a superficial place um but what i've come to see is that there's like um as many people in la as there are in new york mm. so it's hard i mean you can kind of have a reputation around hollywood or whatever and whatever that scene is but la is a giant city and there's lots of people living there there's a lot of ethnic groups um and there's pockets of cool stuff in la for sure yeah i've had uh, friends who grew up like in la and then like they explained to me like well i grew up actually in this town that's part of los angeles county and it, it's just yeah it's confused it's just you know it's nothing it's just every it's regular america and then i have had uh, one of my good friends grew up in like beverly hills oh yeah he's not one of those people at all he doesn't <laughs> but but he works in like the industry it's like ah, oh, but it's just like he's like you know it's anywhere you go there's good and bad exactly exactly so how did you end up in California from Connecticut? Cause like you went to school in, um, I guess, uh, I'm trying to, th- uh, New York, right? Yeah, I went to school at, uh, I went to college in Saratoga Springs, New York at Skidmore College. Um, so, you know, I don't, I, how did we end up here? Um, I was playing in a band, um, kind of like a blues, um, yeah, four piece blues band, two guitars and bass and drums and, um, after I graduated from school, we lived in this, uh, there were two guys in the bands, in the band who were a year behind me. So they had another year in school. Um, and we just kind of moved into this warehouse, like way out in the middle of nowhere in upstate New York. And they finished their last year and I kind of worked around town and we played gigs. Um, and then at the end of that summer, after they graduated, uh, we were just kind of ready to move on from, from, playing in upstate New York and living in upstate New York and all our friends from school were moving off to New York city or Chicago or the Bay area or new Orleans or wherever, you know? Um, and we had some good friends, um, who moved out here the, the year before who went to old Berlin, um, who were also kind of playing, well, they were playing more traditional, um, blues music and they moved out here and kind of scoped it out. Um, and we followed the following summer. So, um, yeah. Were your folks, uh, upset when you were go- going to their coast or were they like, all right, get out of here? You know, I think they thought that I was, I think they thought that I was just trying it, you know, which I was. Um, I, I think as time has gone on there, they realize now that I've been here for a really long time and they're a little bummed about that and I'd like to see them more. Um, you know, they actually were really cool about me leaving, and uh, they they came out that first year when I came. I came out in November, drove out across the country in November, and uh, they came out for Christmas and New Year's um, that year. So that was kind of nice, and I wasn't really even like that settled at that point. I was, I had a roommate and was living in North Berkeley some or South Berkeley somewhere, um, and yeah, I just. I don't know. We played with the band for maybe another year or two while, while I went after I moved out. And then that band kind of slowly fizzled as everybody kind of went to different things. And then the, I mean, actually the majority of those three guys, uh, three guys, um, we've kind of reformed lately and been playing like old time, uh, old time fiddle music, um, banjo and fiddles and guitars and bass and, so yeah, that's been good, but for, you know, maybe three or four years in between, I wasn't playing that much music because I was doing sound at night. Did that, did you still like music after doing sound so much? Because I've heard of some, uh, I've had friends who worked in venues and you can get some fatigue from that. Well, yeah, for sure. Like when I was first doing sound out here, I was working at a rock club in San Francisco and that was really loud every night. Um, I like, wasn't... like radio rock bands or like? um no more like indie okay that's a little more well yeah i mean it's not like i disliked the music it was just that it's a little more punishing on the ear yeah absolutely um so um 
and then I mean I don't know I, I'm I'm in a really lucky spot where um, where I've been able to work in clubs that do the music that I really love you know and um, like I worked for a couple of years in uh, at the Freight and Salvage in Berkeley before I started working at Ashkenaz. Um, and both places, they just do music, the music that I was listening to anyway. Um, and it's not loud music, so it doesn't really hurt your ears. I mean, sometimes Ashkenaz is a bit loud, but it's not like, uh, it's not like six nights a week of punk rock or something like that. Oh, God. If you ever go to like a traditional like club club and like the bouncers, the sound guy, they're just the most miserable people you've ever met. Yeah. I mean, rightfully so. I can I can see that. I mean, the other thing is that I mean, one thing for me when I got the opportunity to start doing the booking over there, it was a big thing for me because it's really hard to live the nightlife uh, for that long. You know, um, oh, God, I mean, you're yeah. out, you're out, and you know, if the concert ends at one or one thirty or two or whatever, you still have two hours of cleanup in front of you. Yep. So that puts you in bed at four o'clock every night. And then you're waking up at noon or one every day, and I mean you're right back to work at six or seven o'clock. It's just a, it's a tough lifestyle, and there's always liquor right there, and there's always you know you're working in a bar a lot of times. And yeah, other people around are hanging out late and stuff too. So you know you just kind of it, it's not the healthiest lifestyle uh, to be working in a nightclub. That's for sure. No, I yeah I don't know how people stay healthy and do it for a long time <laughs> yeah i mean i i see people burn out um but uh, you know i it i think i think getting in on more the logistical side of, of running things as opposed to actually running it is uh was a good thing for me because it means in the daytime that i can kind of focus on that and i still kind of pick and choose the nights that i want to do um, or artists that uh, that I'm friends with, or uh, you know, music that I like, I'll I'll try to I'll try to get on those shows and do sound. But um, you know, other shows I can take the night off and cook dinner and have some semblance of a regular life. You know, I just switched to like maybe about three months ago in November. I switched to like the first time being like a a nine to fiver, and it's fucking great. I don't know why people uh, were always so against this when I was young. <laughs> like it's uh there's something nice about uh being home and going out on a weekend when everyone else is also available yeah i mean you know synchronicity of schedules yeah. is pretty nice <laughs> if there's a family event or like something you get invited to like i worked in retail i've worked overnights i've worked in like group homes and all that weird stuff at one point so like it's like oh come home for this party or go see a friend and it's like on a saturday i'm like all right i need at least three months in advance i need to move my schedule and i have to get somebody to cover and that if i was doing overnights it's like and i have to just not sleep for 24 straight hours <laughs> but yeah there's something great about it and then yeah. and you get to see the people like i i assume you must live with your fiance i assume i do yeah. yeah yeah same thing like at that time it's like i live with my wife and it's like oh, we actually see each other and at the time of day that we're the happiest yeah, exactly. Like done Not, with work. <laughs> or it's always Not, odd when you're the one that wakes up at like, like when I would wake up at like five or six. I'd wake up at like five o'clock in the afternoon because I would get home at eight a.m. from working an overnight, and she'd just yeah. be getting home from work, and I'm like making eggs, and like, hey, what's up? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's weird, for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the nightlife. I mean, when I was when I was doing sound and I first met Nansama, my uh, my fiance, she was playing music full time. Um, oh so wow! We, we were roughly on the same schedule, um, and then um, over the last few years, she actually went back to school and became an occupational therapist. Oh, that's great! Works in the hospital, so um, her schedule now is more along the nine to five thing too. So I mean, there were some years there where she was in school and I was still working at night and. We were definitely on that same kind of flip-flop schedule where I'm getting home at 4 a.m. and she's getting up at 6 and, you know, it's like we might even see each other <laughs> if I have <laughs> yeah. up and I'm getting home, you know, that's yeah. kind of weird. Wait, so she was making uh, a career of being a musician for a little while. That's that's impressive. Yeah, so she, um, she was a founding member of this group called the California Honey Drops. Um, which is a pretty popular band in the Bay Area these days. Um, 
They actually just recently they played uh, Garrison Keillor's show there. Oh wow! So they're actually making a pretty good name for themselves. Um, and actually, when I was talking about coming out here, uh, moving out here, they were actually the people that we knew. Um, oh. Guitar player in my band went to high school with um, this guy Lesh, who's kind of the leader of the the California Honey Drops. Um, so yeah, Nansamba was playing with them when I first met her. Um, and then she kind of moved out of the, well, she, actually, she's had some problems with, um, with arthritis. Um, Ooh. yeah, so th- that was one reason that she kind of scaled back playing so much. She still plays, but more casually than professionally. Um, but she also, I mean, the same type of thing, just the nightlife and the, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to like have a settled, healthy lifestyle, um, unless you really, really like work at it or ha- have an alternate approach um, to playing clubs. Um, so yeah, uh, she, she kind of made the decision to leave that band in, uh, I don't know, I don't remember now, maybe five or six years ago. Um, but yeah, that band's gone on and they've done really good things too. So, oh, but yeah, so cool. she, she was playing with them for yeah five years or something like that and nighttime gigs doing music. Yeah, and at the same time, I was doing just sound. That's Although impressive. I was so, doing a little bit, uh, like, a couple shifts a week at a local music store, too, to supplement income, but mostly doing sound for that time period. Did she tour? Did she have to tour at all, or she got to stay local? Um, They did two European tours. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. They went to Germany and Poland, and, um, you know, they played a... a, a Blues Festival in Poland and a bunch of club dates in Germany, um, Switzerland, and yeah, all around that area. I can't remember all the places now. I think there was a Belgium stop or a, uh, uh, maybe the Netherlands. I think they played in Amsterdam a little bit. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I mean, for, for Roots music, going to Europe, I mean, it's a common thing. Um a bunch of the swing bands, the Cajun Zydeco bands that I work with at Ashkenaz, they all try, I mean, the ones that have been around for a long time and have established routing and stuff like that. I mean, just that music is popular out there. Um, so it's something that works out for for musicians like that to go over there, do a little tour. Yeah, anyone I know who's made money off music or a career at the very uh, I think only one person left. Um, it's just been constant touring, like just yeah. constantly. That's the only. And Europe is like where they make all the, a lot of the money. Corporate gigs, I guess that I don't know if that happens with the bands I've liked. I mean, I've been, I've worked with some bands uh, doing sound that pick up corporate gigs, and you know, it like after two thousand and eight, it really tanked. Um, oh, okay, that makes sense. Corporate gigs. I think it's coming back now. Um, so there used to be, anyway, a lot of money in some of these corporations like Silicon Valley, stuff like that, that they'll have their Christmas party or they'll have their – and they want to bring in something that's not just, you know, a wedding band or something like that. Um, so they'll they'll um, they'll hire musicians. Um, and, that yeah, that's one approach. But then it's – yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. Oh, yeah, and in colleges, I know that's one way. And, you know, people can make some money, like – because they are notoriously, like, I was part of, like, the Campus Activities Board, so you bring a band that you know or like, and then yeah. I get them as much money as possible, be like, here you go! <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a, that is a good thing. Um, and there's, there's a few colleges around here. It's funny, um, people have, like, a real perception of the university, you know, the, uh, in Berkeley is the main campus of Cal, uh, University of California. Um, and it has a pretty big like progressive history um but these days it's just like a very competitive school to get into and the nightlife around the university i mean from my perspective maybe i don't know because i'm not a student and i'm whatever however many years removed from being a student but um i mean we have a real challenge getting students out um I think, like you said, that there are uh, at Cal there are some committees and um, you know clubs and there's you know there's opportunities for artists to play up there. But as far as getting students out into town, it's funny that I, I, Berkeley is just not like that. Um, oh wow! 
Yeah, it's really strange. Um, like when I went to when I went to school, like Skidmore, we're situated up there in Saratoga Springs, which is like you know there's just a bar on every corner, um, and there was a at least when I was there, there was a lot of off-campus housing, and I just I mean we patronized that town like crazy, and um, there were a lot of bands from school playing in town. Um, there's a lot of interaction between musicians at school and the musicians in the in the town. At least from our band, we uh, we used to play with a core of local musicians and blues musicians sitting in and stuff like that. Um, but I just don't, I don't see that as much out here in in Berkeley. I think that uh, the campus of Berkeley too is like a, a whole world unto itself, uh, and it takes up a whole section of town. And there's buses to get around and stuff like that. But I think there's a lot there's so much going on on that campus in its own bubble that. Um, the town really kind of has its own, its own kind of there a whole subset of scenes um, that are not even really related to the school, which caught me by surprise when I came out because I thought Berkeley, oh that's the town that has University of California, that's going to be a big part of the town, um, and to, it definitely isn't to the extent that I expected. That's actually what I would have thought of. Cause I, the one time I went out there, I was very surprised of how different each town was like oakland was had its own thing and berkeley had its own thing and san francisco had its own thing like actually i really liked it like it was uh, i have to say i liked oakland the best of all the places i went to and i, I really liked berkeley too yeah i mean i uh, i'm partial to the east, east bay i think because i've lived here for so long um there's definitely a ton of things to do in san francisco and um you know at least out here people refer to san francisco as the city and <laughs> Oakland as the town, you know. <laughs> um, That's funny. But, uh, you know, I mean, the cool thing about the Bay Area is that everything is very close to one another when there's not traffic. Um, <laughs> yep. And, and um, like, I live across the street from a, from a train station that could put me in downtown San Francisco in, like, 20 minutes. Um, I don't do it nearly enough, but... Uh, you know, it's nice to have that. Um, and the towns, the, the cities are really different, and they're all changing too. Just in the ten years that I've been here, everything's on its head. Uh, you know, like the mission was where I used to work at that rock club I mentioned earlier, and um, it's just changing so fast with this tech boom. Um, the the rents are skyrocketing, and um, you know, it was the mission was typically a um, Hispanic and um, you know, kind of bohemian artist community, kind of like maybe like the village used to be, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and a lot of warehouse spaces for artists and stuff like that, and all that stuff is kind of clearing out of the mission, um, and a lot of it is coming to Oakland. Um, oh, that's great. So- yeah, it's good for Oakland. Um, I think San Franciscans are a little, or San Franciscans who've lived there for a long time are a little threatened by um, the changes that they're seeing because, you know, I mean, they think of the city as it was maybe 10 years ago. Um, at least when I was there, anyway, the mission was a total, it's like a freak show. I mean, it was great. Um, a lot of the Burning Man element, um, living in that neighborhood. I mean, the club that I worked at was called 12 galaxies and, um, it was just like, there's just a, a, so much like crazy San Francisco characters coming through that place. And, um, yeah, I think some of that is changing, which is too bad, but I mean, on the flip side, it is really good for Oakland. I used to live downtown, um, like right in downtown Oakland, and I would walk home from the BART station at night, and there would not be a soul down there. It was like, you know, I would say like ur- urban tumbleweed down there. <laughs> and now it's like in the past four years, it's just an explosion of businesses opening up there and young kids down there, and uh, they reopened this Art Deco theater called the Fox Theater down there. Um, and it's just this beautiful theater, and they have big-name acts coming through and playing there. Um, yeah, and the city's just totally changing, which is good. Yeah, I know it's it's my cousin Madeline always talks whenever I see her. She's she's like, I'm part of the problem. I know it sucks, but I think a lot of you've kind of seen it too. Like besides San Francisco, like overall, like 
there was the urban sprawl, and now I think a lot of like our generation is kind of crawling back into cities because it's like not everything's just New York, LA. Like even like tiny Providence, which used to be like nothing, it's like and then you hear that even like every state has their small city that has like that hipster ish community to it. Maybe not Detroit. Detroit might have been the one that didn't recoup. Stout, yeah. But like, um, but no, it's true. Um, I mean, even I was in. Was it last year or the year before? I was down in New Orleans, and even um, even New Orleans, you could see that element. A couple neighborhoods moving in for sure. Um, I really want to go there. That's on my like bucket list of places. My wife has gone twice. Bef- uh, once when we were together, and once before I've ever met her. And now I'm like, I just really want to go there. It just sounds so incredible. You can't miss New Orleans, man. New Orleans is is. If I didn't live in the Bay Area, that's where I'd want to live in New Orleans because that city is just incredible. Yeah, um, my friend, one of my good friends, James, his dad was like a traveling salesman, like almost like in a musician facet of just like constantly on the road his whole life for his adult career. And I was like talking to him, I was like, "So, what's your favorite city in America?" And he's like, "New Orleans." He's like, "It's the only place in America I've ever been that I didn't feel like I was in America." Or, yeah, that, that's exactly it. It's and I was like, "What?" Yeah. Really? And then I got looked into it a little bit. And did you happen to catch that uh, Sonic Highway documentary that Dave Grohl did? You know, I haven't seen it yet. Everybody keeps telling me about it, and I need to see it. So um, it's really – he's a great director. The only problem is they put a Foo Fighters song at the end of it, and they're all terrible. Yeah. Um, and not just because it's Foo Fighters. The songs are just <laughs> They're just bad. <laughs> but besides that, because I, I liked I, his other document, uh, Sound uh, City documentary, but same thing with like – tries to put too much of his music into it, but I'll never criticize Dave Grohl. I think he's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I've seen, obviously I've seen, like, the kind of, um, um, that viral thing going around with the, there's some quote that he had about just how the music industry is running these days at the at the top level. I can't remember exactly how it's worded. Oh, is that the thing about, like, American Idol? Yeah, something like that. You gotta, you gotta fail. You gotta fail in your garage and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I actually, he's a great human being. I think, and I don't have anything against Foo Fighters. I've just never been into them. Yeah, they've never been my favorite band. Um, I, I you know, I think if you're a band, I have like a theory. Like, if you're gonna be a band of that level of Foo Fighters or an Aerosmith or something like that, you can't be too good. You have to be kind of mediocre because, like, it's like Jay Leno is the common denominator. Like. Right. I don't really like Jay Leno, but the majority of our country does. So, like, if someone, if it's going to be something that everybody loves, it really can't be that great. Because anything yeah. that great usually uh-huh. alienates a population. Yeah, I think there's there's some truth to that. I mean, there's uh, always an exception to the rule, but like. No, yeah, there there's going to be exceptions. I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I think I mean one of the things that I think is just disappointing about the national scene is that um, I think that the path. Um, the path that musicians take to being really famous, which, you know, I mean, a lot of musicians don't even want that. They just want a normal life and be able to make a living. Um, but I think the path to to stardom is kind of is pretty messed up these days. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that the it, instead of I mean, it used to be that there were guys like like the example I always use is John Hammond, who discovered Bob Dylan. Um, there used to be guys like that who were going around the country promoting local uh, you know finding local talent and making it national um and now it's just all turned on its head um i I feel like the 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 artist is like is like created in a box beforehand and then put on tv and then you know sold to a mass media it's not really like there's no grassroots recruiting of musicians going on they're just kind of fabulous yeah like what there's only what like four major labels left all the big labels are what there's like Sony still there? Yeah. Epic is Epic gone? I don't. I don't know which is which. Um, uh, I, I don't even know Capital. I think Capital. No, Capital's still... I think gone. Oh, is it really? I, I don't. I wouldn't know to be honest. There's a great it's documentary different. called Downloaded about like Napster on the Netflix, which is yeah incredible. It kind of explains it, but like yeah, like every everything. It's the same story of like any good band gets signed to a major label and then the A&R guy gets fired and a new guy comes in and then the record never comes out. Like, so much yeah. art that should have happened. And, like, so it's kind of amazing anyone ever does anything. Yeah, it is, it is incredible. And especially, I mean, if you look at the 90s, like, besides, like, the pop hits of the 90s uh, were just, like, a little more 
just different. Like, I mean, you had, like, Mariah Carey, but then you also had, like, Soundgarden. But, like, I don't... The top 40 today, it's just, like, almost all... The, which is... To, which I actually don't care, because it's easier to ignore that stuff. Like, I don't... I don't know. I don't listen to commercial radio. Like, yeah. You know, I mean, so my personal feeling is, like, as that stuff becomes less and less relevant, that's just better for everybody else. Yeah, it's like, oh, whatever. Katy Perry's Katy Perry, and there's only one Katy Perry, and the other 20,000 wannabes won't be Katy Perry. But Yeah, all... the people that actually want to actually want to find some good music or s- still exist and if they can't find it on the national level well then that's great for local musicians because uh you can find it locally yeah and if a local musician could live in one place and play music and make money like isn't that like the dream for a musician i think so like not have to travel all the time yeah or, i think or you get to a point where you're, like your travel is like comfortable yeah i think that having a lot of of sustainable local gigs sounds like a good way to go to me i have mixed feelings about festivals but so like a small state like rhode island um they festivals will like they do this thing where you can't play the state the whole year before or after the so, whole like, year or like usually it's like six months plus and like you know if you're a band like from like europe you're not going to be in like rhode island that often so it's like local band shit they're out some, of a job for you so if you live here, it's like you're only going to get to see him at Newport Folk Festival, which is great for the band. Like, no fault to the band. Any artist needs to do what they need to do. But, like, you know, it, it, there's these weird contract stuff you never, I never knew about, like, stuff yeah. like that. And you're like, oh, so, like, if they wanted to play, the, like, a small show in Providence the night before the festival, that legally they wouldn't be allowed to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I hate those things. Oh, I hate so I mean, annoying. It's tough for our club, too, because, I mean, when we're trying to get bigger acts and stuff like that, we're up against that sort of thing. Like, oh, well, I can't – I'd love to play at your club, but uh, I, they won't let me. <laughs> and, it's, and the artists are always – it's never them. It's always the, the business side of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I can understand it from the other end, having booked artists and wanting to get the best draw out of the show. And a lot of times the club is at risk as, as far as – how to get bit when you're dealing with bigger acts you're putting up money up front to have them yeah. and then and then trying to recoup those guarantees with door sales you know so if you if you have competition with the same band for a cheaper price or a smaller place uh in the time frame where you've already put up some money to have them i can see why you'd want to protect that but i just think that the Six months, one year—that's way too long. I could be—I'm hoping I'm wrong about that, but I do think I remember reading something about that in the or in paper. It was like these ridiculous, especially with festivals. Festivals a whole different game. Yeah, and I—I mean, it—it wouldn't be the first time I've heard of stuff like that. You know? Yeah. Um, I've heard three months on either side, which is which is essentially six months, right? Right. Uh, Yeah. Absolutely. So. And I remember I heard like I know this is like an extreme example, but like if you play uh, like Madison Square Garden, there's like there's some uh, I heard someone talking uh, someone talking about how like almost nobody actually makes money off playing Madison Square Garden. Well, you think you'd be making millions, but like they take X amount of dollars. Uh, you ha- you have to pay to play there, and they take from which is new new uh, new common practices like the they t- venues take out of your merch is like where you make all of your money. Yeah, I hate that too. Yeah, and it sucks. And like, as a fan, I'm like, I don't want to fucking give a venue my money for this T-shirt. I want that to go to the band, and I want the T-shirt. Yeah, that's just that stuff is ridiculous. I mean, it, obviously, it it differs from place to place. When I, I mean, I get contracts from people all the time asking me, "Oh, what's your merch policy?" And it's like, uh, sell it. <laughs> is that you sell it and you take your your money home? You know. Yeah, because I mean, if you're in a band, you have to hire like a, a merch guy, and sometimes there's, I don't know, sometimes they have bring out people with them, which is kind of, I don't know. I'm not in a band, so I can't, I can't speak to it. My good friend Dan just got to uh, go out for do a merch on a three week tour with um, the, one of the opening acts on the Gaslight Anthem tour. But mm-hmm. I was like, damn, that's awesome. But then it's like, it's weird because if you're in a band and you're the opening band, they also you have to pay for another mouth to be on the tour with you. Because yeah. like, Dan can't just give up his life and go for three weeks. He needs to have some sort of per diem and income for that time. So it's just tough to be an artist unless yeah. you go I mean, overseas, apparently. <laughs> well, I mean, even that has its – I mean, I think 
it's not like you come home with a with a pocket full of money doing that. There's huge expenses in getting over there, and then you're touring. And it's, yeah, and you have to pay uh, a driver. You can't drive yourself. Right. And, well, and you also have to figure out how to move, if you're going to bring equipment, if you're going to move yep. it around. How? Um, yeah, I had um, Sean, so one of the guys. I had a guest, uh, Sean. He plays in the Scandals, and they went to Europe, and he was like, they had to re-release an album in Europe on a label just so they can go to Europe. It's like you yeah. can't tell her Europe without it. It doesn't make sense fiscally to go there without an album. Yeah, no, that's that's true. That's true. Like I remember when Nansamba was going to to Europe, they had a she had a suitcase that was. Two suit, or they che- she checked maybe three bags or something like that. She had her personal effects, and then she had an entire suitcase full of CDs and an entire seat- suitcase full of T-shirts. And like selling the merch on the road was part of getting to from place to place, you know. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. It's it's just cool how it exists in every facet. Um, my they're a big metal band out of Portland, but they're like huge in Europe. Like they play yeah. like in front of like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand people. Wow. But like that's his entire life is just like on the road, and then I, I home two hundred to ninety oh. days of the year. Oh yeah, no, I I mean that that is that is a big part of being a musician is not. It's hard to have a relationship. It's hard to have a relationship when you when you're working at night or to, or traveling all the time. You yeah, know? I'm very happy in the. That the boring adult life I always never thought I wanted. I'm like, no, it's pretty great. And like, and my I I have a job that I like, and I, yeah, I like where I live. And I was like, I just like I like free time, man. Free time's everything. Yep, I hear that. That's the best. Um, yeah, I think I don't. I wrote stuff down, but I think we hit everything. <laughs> I just cool. about to eat dinner. Um, oh man, well thank you uh so much for coming on, man. This is yeah, really glad. I, really glad I got a chance to talk to you. It's been a while. Yeah, it's. It's just funny because like we always just saw you guys like the the once a year, and then everyone I barely even see like my own family that much, and mm-hmm. then I I was looking through all those old Facebook messages and like, oh my god, I never responded. Apparently, I didn't respond to a lot of messages because I did a lot of that that night. <laughs> I do I do that all the time. I read them and then I read them and then the next one comes in and you know what? As soon as it's second in line, you never touch it again. It's the same with email. Oh, I fucking hate email. <laughs> me too. I'm just on it all don't day. Don't anyone ever listen to this. Don't ever email me because you're not gonna. I'm just not gonna write back. <laughs> I fucking hate it. And then I was, I because I always have like lists of people I want to ask on, but I I usually pick out like five at a time. And so you've actually I've had you on a list for a while uh, to <laughs> ask because I was like, oh Max likes music. That'd be fun to talk. And then just yeah. when I finally get around to asking people, <laughs> it take a while. Yeah, it's cool. I'm glad you did. I had a good time talking. Oh, awesome. Thank you so much. Do, do you want to plug anything while you're out there? Like, are you? If you're if you're if you're in the Bay Area, you got to come to Ashkenaz. It's a it's a Berkeley institution. Um, We've got just you know every night every night of the week it's music from somewhere else around the world. And uh, you know if you're here for a week, find one, come out. I recommend Tuesday night because I love Cajun and Zydeco music. Um, And you know the Bay Area has got the best scene uh, outside Louisiana in my opinion, by far. So, uh, yeah, come out. If you're here, come and dance and, you know, look me up. I'll put you on the list. 